Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Welcome to the Sandbox Story, which is an interview with Dr. Justin Bosn. Justin, thank you for joining Sandbox Stories. Scott, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate you uh, having me on the program. Well, here's the thing. I, you're probably one of the most interesting people that I know in optometry, and yet I don't think I know as much about you as a person as I should. So let's start with the basics. Can you tell us about your family and where you were brought up? Yeah, I grew up in a small town, or at the time, what I thought was a very large town of 60,000 people in Utica, New York. And um, it wasn't until I was about 12 years old, I realized there was a, a bigger world out there. And um, that was the first time I actually went international to Asia, but we can probably touch more upon that later. But um, that got me interested in seeing other things and, and being parts of other worlds and exploring the country and world in other ways. And uh, I made it another five years. And then when I turned 17 and graduated from high school, um, I decided to take off and expand my horizons and ended up in Texas. But um, briefly, though, my, uh, my knowledge of, of travel was uh, from my dad, who was in the um, engineering corps for the Air Force. Although he was civilian, he worked as an engineer for the Air Force, working on radar installations, and uh, he set those up all over the world. So I got a little glimpse of to, to what was out there. Um, my mom was a teacher, and my love of education and educating stems from that. Uh, must have rubbed off because my brother uh, is a teacher. But uh, I consider myself very much an educator in a lot of ways. So I think my love of teaching and my passion for helping others um, stemmed from my mom, um, who still lives up in Utica. And it's a, it's a little bit of a blast to go back up there and see, see the city. My dad and my brother have moved on to Virginia, um, and uh, they've been down there enjoying some of the warmer, warmer weather compared to what we had growing up in central New York. Tell me a little bit more about your mom's teaching. What, what part of education was she in? So she was a grade school teacher. She taught everything from, um, I guess, grade three up to five, fifth, sixth grade. She also did um, special ed, um, which I know that was a big portion of, of her life. She even did some substitute teaching um, and fill-in teaching. I remember having my mom as a teacher in must have been second grade, something like that. But uh, she, she uh, to her credit, I think when... It's an old school mentality, but when she had me, she stayed home with me. And I think from very early on, it was because my mom was a teacher. I learned a lot very quickly. I feel like, you know, I labeled as a precocious kid, but I had uh, a mom who was feeding me information, made me wise way beyond my years. And uh, I remember being absolutely bored in like kindergarten and first grade because I was already, you know, probably at that time, uh, a few years ahead. But, um, you know, to my mom's credit, she uh, she sparked a, a love of learning in me. And um, to this day, I'm still a voracious reader of uh, a lot of uh, business books and education. And um, nowadays we have Netflix programs. Heck, I watched a science program on how poop is connected to so many things in our world and the importance of it last night. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong learner and hopefully be a lifelong educator as well. 
So it makes me think of something. When your mom is your fill-in teacher, that has to be a really odd event. Is it a little bit like a kid going to mom or dad for an eye exam? What, what was it like? Um, it's hard to remember going all the way back to those years. I think it was okay. I mean, I, I knew that you, there's a time and place for when you know you can act as a kid. I mean, you have to act, act as a student. I, I think I treat her with the respect that um, teachers and substitute teachers sometimes don't get, but definitely deserve. Uh, that's great. And, and your dad you know, installing these kinds of things with the uh, the core, that's that's spectacularly interesting. We're going to talk about your travel later, but is is that part of what got your wanderlust going was his travel around the world? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, you know, hearing his stories with his time spent in Europe and bringing me back. I remember he used to bring me back little old knickknacks. Um, I got Harry Potter book books and um, uh, with the uh, Babar books, and they were just they were just different. They had a different feel to them. It was uh, something other than the world that I knew. Yeah, and I wanted to explore that. And at the time, I couldn't go. I was a little kid, so I couldn't really you know, travel with my dad to air force bases in europe but um i definitely think that i get a, a lot of sense of my travel from from him and his his uh, exploration while he was he was working well so how did you become or were you influ who were you influenced by to become an optometrist how, how did you get interested in optometry uh yeah, well, interesting story i guess and that's what you're here for so i really didn't I didn't have eye exams growing up. Um, you know, you hear from the parents, well, I, I took him to the pediatrician and he was fine. He didn't need an eye exam. It was never recommended, I guess, by pediatricians, which pet peeve. I think all kids should be having exams annually. Um, and then by the time I was getting my life, my driving permit at 15, um, the same chart that I was used to at the school nurse where it was HCOE, you know, you just go say the letters and, you know, on to the next kid. Uh, DMV, it wasn't the same chart. And they're like, what'd you say? And I say, HCOE, like, can I pass my driver's uh, vision test? And they're like, no, you need to go get your eyes checked. You need glasses. So I went, um, I went, got some, uh, I got an awesome eye exam from um, Dr. Obam in, in Utica, New York, and his, his uh, son, uh, also an optometrist now in, in New Hartford. They have an awesome and amazing uh, optometric practice up there. So shout out to them. Uh, but I got my first pair of glasses. They're these Bugle Boy wire rim glasses. And when I put them on, I know something was better, right? My vision was instantly enhanced. So I was like, all right, maybe I'll keep these in the glove box. I'll put them on at the car. But I was so embarrassed by my glasses that I would take them off even at red lights just in case somebody pulled up next to me. So I had a pair of glasses that I used for driving. And then I think I also realized that those glasses helped me play baseball and actually see the ball. And I was wondering, you know, why my batting average wasn't as good as it could have been. Because I couldn't see the ball the way I probably should have. Um, I'm only minus 175, but it does definitely have a huge impact. And it's, it's also a point where you don't know what you don't know until somebody shows you that. So um, those glasses were a good start. And I had great experience with my optometrist. Uh, fast forward a few years later, I am in San Antonio, Texas, Trinity University, a sophomore in college, um, pre-med, but wanted to figure out a little bit more about the different healthcare fields. I had a, I had an experience in high school where my senior year, I spent a, basically the full day in, um, in the hospital touring through different departments. And being in the hospital really never clicked with me. Um, I knew that there was other forms of healthcare that I could practice. 
Uh, and I started in uh, that sophomore year of college, just touring around different healthcare providers. Um, ultimately, I saw three or four different optometry offices. And um, uh, I remember being in uh, Dr. Richard DeLay's office in San Antonio, great guy. I don't know if he remembers me, but um, I remember being there and we started talking about just what he does. And, and I think we had a glaucoma discussion and things just clicked. Like I'm looking at a picture of the eye, the anatomical drawing of the eye. And I'm like, wow, it's amazing. That's fascinating. And it's only one organ. That's all I need to know. It's just this eyeball and how it's connected to the rest of the body. I'm like, you know what? His, this guy's got a good lifestyle. The patients love him. They're very appreciative. I can do this. And it made sense to me and it clicked. I'm like, this will be something that not only do I like, but it's going to come easy and natural for me. And then that's when I started to get serious about like, well, what do I have to do to get an optometry school? At the time, I still had med school in the back of my mind. Um, but I remember it was studying for the OAT using the MCAT book. Um, so I didn't realize there was, you know, the tests were dramatically different. And by studying for the, uh, the MCAT, I think I crushed the OAT, which uh, definitely helped uh, get into the schools that I was looking to get in. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the initial uh, need for glasses, having great uh, optometrists, and then shadowing some guys in college that really sealed the deal that I wanted to go to optometry school. And where did you go, and were you glad that you went? So I went to SUNY. I interviewed. I remember it must have been spring break. It was a crappy spring break. I actually ended up um, flying into New York City, interviewing at SUNY, getting offered a spot uh, on you know right at the end of the interview. I was like, wow, this one this is easy. Uh, first school, first interview, got a spot. And then the rest of the time I was like, well, now I, I was going down to Philly. I was going to um, Boston. I was going to Chicago and I was doing this all on a college budget. So I was taking the bus everywhere. Um, so I, I remember taking a bus down to Philly, setting up in a hotel that had bulletproof glass thinking to myself, like, man, I don't know about this place. Um, and then I ended up going up to Boston, and it was um, it was great. Also got uh, accepted into that school. But at the time, I was like, you know, New York City kept calling me. I made it. We used to come down as a kid. Um, my mom grew up in Yonkers. My dad grew up in Utica. Um, we used to come down to New York City pretty frequently, and we definitely came down to a lot of Thanksgiving Day parades. And there's something about the city that was calling me back. But I think the, the, what sealed the deal is I took a bus to Chicago from Utica. And it's supposed to be, I mean, if you drive, you can make it in I don't know, 12 hours or something like that. Or the bus would have been 18. It ended up being 32 hours on a bus in a blizzard in March. And I remember being so cold in, in uh, Chicago and, and walking from the L to the school. I think I got to the school and they said, would you like it too? I said, no, nah, I'm good. I just want to report back that I'm not going to interview for here. Although I appreciate you, you know, don't, don't waste your time on me. This is not for me. Um, so I finalized my decision at SUNY and then, uh, you know, moved, moved down here early. I did a semester early. I, wanted, I was so anxious to get to the city. Um, I moved down here a semester early and um, started, started my career here in August of uh, 2000. So. Going back over a couple of decades, I've been in New York City already, and I've lived in New York City longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life, so it feels like it's home. I love the optometry school story. That is fantastic. Well, 
you've been in New York City for a long time, and you have established a really cool um, clinic called Park Slope Eye. And you have definitely carved out a niche in our industry as a progressive-minded OD, not only to your clinic, but to the business of eye care. So let's talk about the business of optometry for a second. What, what is the patient experience at Park Slope Eye like? Well, very early on, I knew that the uh, patient experience that most people had when they went to a healthcare provider wasn't always enjoyable. You know, I said, well, why can't we make it an experience that people look forward to going to? Um, and it was some simple things that I took note in my own life and, and, and some things that I learned along the way. Um, I remember going to the dentist in, in New York City, and I was uh, a few minutes late. Like, you know, New York, we don't mind if you're 10, 15 minutes late. There's a subway, there's traffic, there's this and that. Um, but I really tried to get there on time, so I was hustling a little bit. I was running. I get there, and, you know, you you, you walk into this dentist. It was, was highly rated, um, and I knew that user reviews were going to be important at this point, too, because I saw how in my own life I was starting to be more selective of the places that I was choosing to, and I, and I used the reviews to, to rate. So this place was highly, highly rated for the, the patient care. Um, the patient experience that I had, not so much. So I get there, I'm running. I'm still about 10 minutes late, but I at least made an effort to, like, run the last few blocks from the train. So it's, uh, it's a summer day. It's hot. It's 90 degrees. I'm sweating. Um, I, I walk in. All I want is a little glass of water. You know, even one of those little bubble towers. I'm not looking for a fancy, fancy drink bar. I just want a little bubble tower of water, water cooler. Nothing. So I go up to the front desk, which is these two panes of glass that are, you know, slammed together, and they open it up, and they shove a clipboard in there. And I'm like, can I have a glass of water? She's like, we don't have any water. I'm looking back. To, I'm like, you're a dentist. I know you got those little Dixie cups. You can squirt some water in. I would like a glass of water, please. And they're like, sorry, that you know, we're not able to help with that. Fill out this information, and you know, we'll be right with you. And it was at that point, I'm like, well, what, what kind of crappy experience is that? Like, why can't we make this experience better? So we, um, you know, we, we always want to emphasize that our office provides top-notch care, but we also want to make sure that the experience, heck, even in pandemic times, was something that was geared towards the pleasantries of the patient experience. And it may be something as simple as, as offering somebody a, a beverage or a drink, right? Um, they take it next level and you can... You can have your snack bars and you can have, um, you know, we have art in our, uh, we have an art gallery for the local community. So you start to do and you elevate things. Then you start tailoring the patient experience. So there are things that we can do. Now, why do, what do people hate when they go to the optometrist? They hate the puff. They hate the drops. Are there ways to uh, uh, eliminate that? Can we add technology that makes it better for the patient experience? Can we make sure that they're not going to be there all afternoon but still get things done in a high-level, high-touch feel? Um, so we really worked at that from the, the, the onset. And then we started to realize that there's things that we can do outside of the office that enhance the patient experience. Um, and we were living in a, in a day and age where everybody's booking reservations for flights, you know, online. Why couldn't they make a simple um, appointment uh, online? You know, in 2008, there weren't a whole lot of people that were that had an online presence that allowed them to have, you know, the experience that, that was great 
offline and then transform that right into a great experience offline. So we kind of seamlessly integrated things that would help benefit the patient's experience both off and online. And we did that right from the start. And I think the beauty of having a cold start is you really had the chance to make it what you wanted, make it what you've you've taken stock of other experiences. And, and you know, one, one of the things that I learned from doing filling work is there's a whole lot of successful people out there that are doing stuff that I consider substandard. And, uh, it was a vote of confidence to see some people that were getting by for 20, 30 years who were doing it like that. I'm like, well, if they're doing it like that, I'm going to come in and crush it. I'm absolutely going to crush it. So, you know, I did a lot of filling work. Um, I worked in some, some opticals, some retail locations. Um, and you just, you kind of make, you know, little notes, um, I remember when I when I was choosing the neighborhood for Park Slope by at the time, now it's all on the phone, I had uh, a digital camera, I had a little memo pad, I had a voice recorder, and I would go into different offices and see what they did well and see what they weren't doing so well, and, um, and just hitting up different offices in different neighborhoods and, and finally settling on Park Slope. And it all worked out. Here we are, you know, 2008 to 2000 or 2020, 2022, we're, we're headed into. So, uh, no, it, it, it worked out well. It seems interesting to me that there are a lot of different direct-to-consumer industries, whether it's uh, an auto repair shop or that's, a, that's an example I can think of, where there is sort of a contrived feeling to the snack bar, the, the, the warm cookies, the, the popcorn, the bottle of water, because you're kind of going to be there forever. And the people don't match it, right? The people don't match that, that great experience mindset that they're trying to show you with the stuff in the waiting area. And it seems to me like you're probably somebody who's got the people that also deliver on it. Is that the case? You really invested in the people to help deliver that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, the experience that you have is a combination of the environment, um, which includes the people that are in that environment. So we're, we're an office that has successfully um, gatekeeped certain people out, although all are welcome, we want to know, um, we want people to know what the experience we provide and we want their expectations to be matched up from what they're reading about online. Mm -hmm. So when you have people's expectations um, being even exceeded by what they're reading online, then that's a win-win for everybody because we do what we do best. We do what we love to do. We're unapologetic for things that people may not like about our office that we like. And we, we continue to build um, by having those people who come to our office have great experiences, have other people like them come to our office. So, you know, the, the patients and then the personnel, uh, it's a great match. Um, you know, like uh, one of the things that we've recently added is uh, uh, one of my employees just got into the candle making business, a um, little pandemic, extra side hustle. And um, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to allow him to set up, you know, four or five candles right at the front desk and um, bring in that little aspect of his personality of our local involvement of, of the business, you know, local businesses. And uh, that's been a big hit in our office. You know, patients um, love the fact that um, we help our employee with this small business and that they have an awesome local product to, to pick up and purchase. 
you know, at, uh, at checkout. But um, that's something that I love being able to do as a small business owner, um, that there's no way that I would be able to do that in any other capacity if I didn't have, you know, direct input into what I can regulate in my office. I, I think, love being a owner. Yeah, there's so many wonderful aspects of owning and operating a small business. And the employee culture comes from the leader allowing people to bring their whole self to work. And in many instances, we as business leaders kind of tell people, leave it in the back room, put on the uniform, put on the name tag, do your job, certainly interact with people. And I I say it a lot in my sandbox work, and people have heard it on the sandbox stories interviews. There's too many times where people that run eye care businesses think that their people are irreplaceable and they just they can't afford to lose them. So they just tolerate kind of a, a half their employee or they don't invite a half their employee to be all there. So I just want to take your words and emphasize it to the audience. Let your people, as much as you can be, bring them whole, their whole selves to work. They want to show what they have mastery in. And the candle making experience is a great one. It's a great one to demonstrate. He's also pretty good at it too, which helps. It doesn't candles crappy. I don't know. Maybe we would have mixed that idea, but giving it a shot is important. I love it. Um, We're going to talk next about the social media expertise you've brought to the table in optometry. Um, You really did give us, you know, your your background was that you started to use reviews and we're doing reviews. Now that it's everywhere, it's as impactful in Fargo, North Dakota as it is in New York City. But I know that folks in more rural areas might not even believe that their patients are looking there, but they are. And so I want to start with this. You've really sort of driven optometrists to be very direct with their intentions and with their interactions with patients on social media. Do you still um, suggest optometrists engage actively in social media, particularly where ratings are involved? I think social media was the foundation of our success. Um, going back to the early, I guess, roots of social media was when I was working in a large regional optical. Um, I graduated and I took you know, the job that paid the most because I was tired of being broke and bummy in New York City. So I wanted to have some, some cash in pocket to enjoy New York City. So I took that job at a large regional chain. And um, it was it's the typical schlock optical situation. I got 15 minutes to see a patient without the aid of advanced technology. So what am I really getting done? I'm getting a refraction, which was the emphasis of the importance because they wanted to sell product, eyewear products, glasses, and content. So it put an emphasis on refraction. It was detect and refer. Um, and oftentimes I didn't even have uh, the ability to answer patients' questions. So I said, well, is there a way for me to help provide answers to patients' questions outside of the 15-minute window that I was given? So I started doing a couple of things. I developed a patient log, a patient blog that was educational-based, and I said, well, you know, I explained this uh, on a, my, one of my latest blog posts. I want you to go to this in this website, and you, you can read up about what's going on. And here's my business card. Which I had, re- which I had my email, my email put on the company's business cards, and they said, "This is how you contact me." Okay, I thought it was great. I thought it was amazing. So now patients who didn't get the time that I could have in the exam room had a way to read up and then 
contact me with any questions, comments, or concerns. So it was that extra touch point that was uh, that took the bar from here and elevated it to here. So now they felt like this doc really cares about me. He wasn't there just to you know sell glasses or whatever. So I did that. Um, I was doing that for about uh, three years. The the numbers in the offices were awesome. The exams were up. The schedule was booked out. You know we we took an office that was doing X amount of dollars. Now it's doing XX, maybe even XXX amount of dollars. Um, so I thought it was good for everybody. I thought it was good for the patients. I thought it was good for the office. I thought it was, it was good for me too. And uh, I got a call from the CEO of the company. He said he wanted to set up a lunch. I'm like, wow, they're really paying attention. This is great. He wants to I never you know, shook his hand at the, the company Christmas or holiday party, whatever. But I'm like, wow, this is awesome. He's like, you can pick the place. And we've got a lot to talk about. I'm thinking like, you know, he's gonna, I'm going to get some kind of accolades and award. Now, maybe I'll be the first optometrist to have a bronze statue for you know, doing so well. So we got to this lunch and um, didn't go as planned. <laughs> Uh, so he was telling me that the way that I was bonding with patients, he had a big concern with, he was like, we have people come for the two for $99 special, not because Dr. Bazan's providing uh, a great patient experience. And he certainly didn't want any social media presence. The, the blog itself, uh, my email was just absolutely insane and crazy to him. Um, and he just wasn't having any other way. He gave him an ultimatum. He's like, the blog comes down or you got to go. And then um, and he's a busy guy. And I understand busy guys have to take phone calls. But he took a phone call like that was in mid-sentence. And he gives me like one of these. And I gave him basically one of these. And I left. Right? I just walked out from the table. Got up from the table and left. Went back to the office cleared out the, the rest of the day with my patients and it was about five o'clock. This was in a corporate building. So we were really busy up until uh, probably about then. And, um, uh, like the, the rent cop mall security comes to the office with a cardboard box saying that I was no longer able to be on the premises because I was terminated. And, um, that was like the first time I feel like a physical kick to the chest without getting, Kicked to the chest, uh, took the win, took the win from uh, out from me. So I thought on the day that I was going to get, you know, a pat on the back, I actually got a kick in the ass. <laughs> so, but it was a kick in the ass to motivate me to say that if I could build this business, and let me be clear, I was very thankful that I did also develop at the time um, a, a hunger for a sense of business because. When I was in school, I learned how to be an optometrist and, 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 and go through the protocols and, and you know, detect and, and treat. And then when I was uh, an employee, I learned how to carry out those duties in a way without anybody overseeing me. And I had autonomy of care in a confined space. And I can find they, they, they had reins on me. Um, but I also had a chance to work with some amazing people that I learned uh, managerial skills. I saw how the HR department worked. I saw the marketing, the good and the bad side of marketing. I learned about merchandising. I learned about profit and loss. You know, um, I learned a lot about the business just being immersed in it and having uh, a sponge-like mind for that stuff. So I'm thankful for the opportunity that I had there. And I'm also thankful for the opportunity that I didn't get golden handcuffed or stuck in that 
right? So I know some people that have ultimately been in an environment now that they're probably sick of, but they, they kind of feel a little bit trapped with the golden handcuffs. So it was great. So I was motivated to, you know, go out on my own and start something for myself. So I took the, the confidence that I had and the success that I had, and I kind of just rolled that and I said, let's do this. Let's start. Let's, let's have a cold start office. So that's what kind of started me on my journey was actually getting fired, but having that knowledge that I knew a little bit about how to be successful in doing it. And then with the social media strategies you've implemented at Park Slope Eye and things you've talked to other docs about, you're even willing to take on people who say something negative about you um, directly. Yeah, so I think that's also based on, I'm a, I'm a very, I guess transparency is important to me. I don't want somebody to hear me apologize saying, I'm so sorry you weren't able to get through. You know, you know, we don't have a phone line, but you've opened my eyes to understanding how it hurts people by not being able to reach us on the phone. I will fix that up for you right away. You know, that's, that's all BS to me because I'm not going to do that. Um, I hate having a phone. You know, one of the, 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 the things that you get when you walk into an office and there's somebody sitting at the front desk that's on the phone is you get the finger, right? Like, I hate that. That drives me crazy. I, I, we have ways where we, we start. One of the reasons that we don't have a phone is because I studied why people were calling us. Right. So I said, let me take a three month window and figure out why people are calling and if there's better solutions. Um, so, you know, people call to make an appointment. Easy. Done. Online scheduler. People call to, to find out where we were in our hours. Boom. We put it on our social media and ultimately now we have an awesome website. Um, so that information's there. People called to figure out when their stuff was ready. Um, uh, on that one, we actually went old school. We wrote a due date down on a business card and said, don't bother us until this day comes and goes, then you can email us. Right. So, um, but we, we eliminated the one thing that was the biggest headache, but if somebody has a problem with that, they didn't do their research. They came to the office, not knowing how we conduct our business and it wasn't a good match. So I'm not apologizing for that. Now the, the tone that I take is also me um, and the, my personality in my environment. So it's me being real. So Scott, you're, you're probably not going to answer it the same way, but I encourage you to be you, be yourself, be real, have that personality of yourself come through because honest and genuine is and transparent is what's going to help build the business in a way that's beneficial for everybody involved from the patient showing up to you who's being there as the owner and um, providing care to those people. So transparency, honesty, and authenticity are very important in social media. It's good stuff. You've also maintained a really solid connection to younger ODs. Um, what's going on in optometry education that the older generations should understand? Because of your connection, I think you have a pretty good feel for what they are feeling and thinking early in their career. Yeah, honestly, one of the, the proudest things um, that the biggest sense of pride that I feel now is that we're able to help the younger generation come up and have, be a resource for them for the questions that they have and provide guidance. Um, you know, I didn't. I didn't have I didn't have those resources available to me, um, but I did have awesome and amazing mentors in the industry. Um, 
they're still there. They still exist, um, and they're great. But having a group of peers who are going through similar circumstances together and figuring out new and creative and modern solutions to some of the issues that even somebody who now I'm more of a seasoned practitioner might have a different view on, but putting together these groups of young, awesome, amazing ODs and then having little mentors like myself and you thrown in the mix has been um, just incredible experience to see how it's built. Um, I knew there was a true need for it when New York took off like crazy. So doctors John Wynn and Kirk Kupke um, started New York and I was quickly brought into the mix. Uh, And then expanding into from New York, seeing how quickly and how big it became was like, wow, if we could do it in New York, there's got to be a need for it in other places. So we expanded into Jersey, into Northern Virginia, Maryland, into Florida, um, into um, Colorado. Um, California is huge. Texas is huge. You know, we have thousands and thousands of young ODs now part of this network. And it's just incredible to see this camaraderie and the sense of group learning and all taking this, uh, this plane that we're currently on. Some of us here, 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 wherever. But it's just the overall elevation of everyone involved has been spectacular to see. Um, and it's based both online. So we have um, groups, Facebook groups and chat groups um, online. I think one of the sources of, of joy that I get is every day I get to see the, the Yoda leaders chat group and the, the dialogue and conversations and the learning and the sharing that goes on and on. It just makes my day every day I see it. Um, but that online also is transforming to um, offline real events that hopefully we get back to doing all across the country where we get a chance to, to make real you know connections in the real world and, and bonds of friendship that are going to be lifelong. And um, it's just been a wonderful thing to see. It wasn't, there, was, there wasn't anything like it. I know a few groups have tried to put together the Young OD group, and there's some other variations out there. But the uh, Young OD of America's group with its local chapters has been just fantastic. If a Young OD is watching and wanted to become part of that group, how do they find it? So it's Young ODs of America on Instagram, and then they'll give you some links. Um, Young ODs of America on Facebook Facebook has your local chapters all bookmarked out too. And then um, I'm not hard to find. If you can't find me, I'm doing. I'm not practicing what I preach. Got it. Let's play a game. Let's look ahead to 2022. Um, in 60 seconds or less, let's answer a few questions. Should an OD do a practice remodel investment or a new piece of equipment investment? depends on the practice, but both would be ideal. Um, the dilemma that I have, you know, just to put it in, in my own my own optics, um, my lease is up in 2023. So do I want to do a remodel in 2023 if I don't know if I'm going to be in that space? So, I mean, there's some things that you can do superficially, but in my particular case, is there a piece of equipment that's going to enhance either the patient experience my diagnostic or treatment capabilities. And if I can get something that does all three of those things, then it's definitely going to be added to the office. Um, so, you know, the, the current pieces of equipment that would be aligned with those for me would be something along the lines of myopia management um, or dry eye. Those would be two pieces of equipment that I'm looking at. Okay. So should an OD in a single practice 
think about finding another OD or three in their area and forming a business group together? Or should they think more seriously about selling to private equity? You know, it's funny if they, they made that business group, it'd probably be bought by private equity even faster. So <laughs> everything's a roll up for a roll up in this industry right now. I think it makes the most sense to evaluate your options, see where you are in your career and what you want in the next few years to uh, you know, uh, the next decade out. But what's awesome and amazing about where we're at right now is that we have tons of options. It's not just take an associate and sell. It's is what you mentioned. It's like, let's form, a, let's form our own group. Let's uh, entertain the idea of private equity. Which private equity? Do I want a legacy? Do I want to transition into a commercial? Do I want to be involved? Do I want to cash out? Um, it's just, it's, it's a good point for business minded people to be involved in the industry and the entrepreneurial spirit to be there. Um, it's also a tough time for a lot of people that are coming out of school and they're slammed with debt. And one of the things that I often hear is like, well, I'm buried in debt. Um, I don't think I'll be able to take on any financing or the practice that I want to buy is going to cost too much. Or, you know, I heard cold starts are really hard. There's a, there's a lot of uncertainty for the, the graduating class and the young, young class. So if there's any guys out there that, you know, may have opportunities for young ODs, you know, pass them on to me. I got people all over who may be just a little bit too shy or um, not exposed to the right types of knowledge when it pertains to this, but we can definitely help everybody be successful and do what they ultimately enjoy doing and, and are passionate about doing. One more. Should an OD add a new patient care strategy or specialty to the practice, or should they take more time off next year? Both. <laughs> like, the answer is always going to be both. So you, you've got to be... Um, able to understand that you are a person who needs to experience the world. And it's not necessarily a bad thing for you to take vacations. It blows my mind that people wear it as a badge of honor. I haven't taken more than a week off in 30 years. And I'm like, that's freaking crazy to me. Um, I'm trying to take next year off, like just next year. Like <laughs> I'm trying to take next year off and travel. You know, the lockdown has made me also realize that nothing's guaranteed and where you may think you're planning a great retirement and all of a sudden, you know, you get a health issue or you have to take care of somebody else or the world locks down, you know, it, do it when you can and you can always do it. And it's about setting it up and making the appropriate time. Heck, I took, I don't know. It's, it's, everybody has different situations and I get it, but I, oh, I'm a firm believer if there's a will, there's a way in making it happen. And everybody needs time away from that office to experience the world in different ways. Um, but as far as adding, you know, a new, a new patient um, care uh, area to focus on, I think that's what keeps you also feeling less burned out than just grinding it out the same way. Um, it invigorates, it re-energizes, it gives you a new source to, um, to put your passion into learning these things, right? And it's not, I mean, there's so many to choose from right now. Just pick, pick one that you kind of are interested in and try it out. And if it's not for you, you, you don't have to do it. But um, there's, there's lots of different wonderful directions that optometry is able to go in these days. And I think that exploring them is going to lead to better satisfaction with your uh, profession 
Your optometric journey is going to go in a different direction, and you'll enjoy the ride. And you said earlier you love to travel. What's the most interesting travel story you have, and where are you going to travel next year? Yeah. So I hinted at this in the, the opening few minutes is that I grew up in a town of 60,000, and I thought that was a big town. Um, Utica, New York, you know, it's the third or fourth largest city in New York State. So I'm thinking like, wow, I'm growing up in big, the big leagues here. Um, I was very lucky that I had some close family members um, spend time living in Tokyo. And I think I was 11 or 12. This was This was before, I guess this was 89 or 90. So it's not like the internet was around and I could jump wherever and, and watch travel videos. And, you know, I didn't know crap about, you know, Japan, very limited education. Um, my, you know, it was probably based around some really bad local Japanese food that was not done well. Um, but I had a chance to go visit relatives in Japan, uh, during the summer. I think it was the summer between sixth, seventh grade, somewhere around there, um, with my mom. And I landed and <laughs> it was literally like, I'm in a different world. You know, there was, there was nobody around that looked like me, sounded like me. You know, there was, it was a completely culture shock. I, I didn't understand what culture shock was until I was culture shocked. And it just blew my mind wide open in the most positive and beneficial way. Um, it, it was the, the point where you realize when people say there's another world out there, there's another world out there. And it just cracked the shell of, of what I thought I knew in the world. And it just kind of in, uh, awoken uh, uh, the desire to experience everything that's out there. Because, you know, life is short and we don't have enough time in this world to do even the things we like to do, let alone the things that are out there for us to do. Um, and, and next year, um, you know, I plan on spending time with family here first during the holidays and then making my way through um, Mexico, Central America, and into South America, hopping over to Africa to spend time with, with some friends. And then, I don't know, I am, I am, uh, I'm a seasoned traveler who can kind of go with the flow if I meet people along the way. And, and you know, just having a general direction is good enough for me. Um, I, don't, I don't need to, to plan this out anything more than I have the time and uh, ability to do it, and I'm going to get it done. That's a great thing. I can't wait to – Things can change, and then next year I may be like doing something else. But right now the plan is to experience more of the world and spend time um, outside of, of New York City and away from the office. I can't wait to hear your travel stories. One last I'll, question. I'll shoot some travel videos. I think I, I want to experiment with that. Sandbox stories would be happy to present them to whatever audience we could achieve. Awesome. <laughs> One last question. What's the best advice you ever received? Just say yes. Given When you're given an opportunity, just say yes. Um, especially if you're working with people such as yourself. Scott, when you come to me with anything that you need, like, I'm thinking of this and I'm like, Great, let's do it. Tell me about it later. I'm busy. And then, you know, that's that's how it goes. But, you know, when you have people that are, are you know, when you 
start to recognize that you have the ability to create your own world and bring people in and cultivate relationships and 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 you know you're you're great at this when those people and and yourself collaborate together there's always great things that happen and if you're given the opportunity just say yes and figure out the rest of it later but the second you start closing doors on relationships or opportunities it kind of fizzle out but the more you say yes the more it builds and the more paths you're taken down and that's um that's the true journey of life is going down as many paths as you can, can find and and represent it to you my friend it's been a sincere pleasure to get to know you in my career and i'm glad for our friendship and today thank you for sharing your stories with this audience much appreciated thank you for uh taking the time to to do this interview and i can't wait to see you uh, you the same. I, I hope that uh, that comes very soon. And for our audience, thanks as always for attending. And until my next Sandbox story, be great at all you do.